All right, those who are four to sixth grade, you can go to your class. God is working for us. There was a sign that was seen in a textile mill, which we know a lot of textile mills used to be all around us here. And the sign said this, when your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. A young woman was new on the job. Her thread became tangled, and she thought, I'll just straighten this out myself. She tried, but the situation only worsened. Finally, she called the foreman and said to him, I did the best I could. She said, uh, and the foreman responded, no, you didn't. To do the best, you should have called me. We do not have to rely on ourselves for our ministry to others. As we minister for him, God works for us, Father, Son, and Spirit. All right, gentlemen, let me try the uh, clicker if you want to bring it up here. I am not able to I'll get out and try to go back in, but. All right, so in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul starts with a question. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Why do we need this passage? We struggle to minister when we rely on mere human ingenuity and mere human strength. If you missed Sunday school, you missed a blessing. And in Sunday school, we learned, we're learning about King Saul, and he is known for trusting himself. He relies on his army. He relies on his wits. He relies on his uh, being able to talk his way out of things, and Samuel and conversing with Saul today in 1 Samuel 15, was pretty much done with Saul and said, just stop talking. We struggle as we minister because we often want to rely on ourselves, and we don't have to. Paul was not probably the most eloquent speaker. We learned that from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He wasn't the biggest guy, as we'll see later, uh, the most uh, physically demanding uh, guy. And so we, um, he doesn't rely on any of that. What he's relying on is God himself. And he has taught the Corinthians that God, when God is for you, that uh, he is reliable, he is trustworthy. And he asked the question there in uh, verse 16 of chapter 2, who is sufficient for these things? Who can be the aroma of life to life and death to death for those who are um, perishing and those who are being saved? And Paul says, I'm not sufficient, and we're not going to rely on ourselves. We're going to rely on, um, genuinely rely on God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So that's how our last uh, passage ended in verse 17. And now in chapter uh, 3... Uh, verse 1, he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Who, le who needs a letter of recommendation? You need a letter of recommendation when the person that you are trying to work for or that they're trying to uh, work for you, whenever you don't know each other. And if you, um, I asked some uh, guys about my wife, my wife's birthday today, and uh, you can say happy birthday to her. She's not here. She's out. So I wanted to tell you that before she came back. All right. So you can say happy birthday to her. But when I uh, was checking on my wife before I started dating her, I would ask her friends, hey, what do you think of Joy? And 
based on how much they knew her, I felt pretty confident that she was not just putting on a front uh, with me, that she was a young lady of character, and I have not been disappointed um, that I have married her uh, over 20 years ago. But you need a letter of recommendation when you don't know someone. If you were going to go work for your dad, you wouldn't need a letter of recommendation. Why? Because he's your dad, right? So you need a letter of recommendation when there isn't, there isn't a relationship there. And so Paul, like the other people that uh, have come in to the Corinthian church, they probably brought with them possibly forged letters of recommendation, or they got someone just to uh, give them a good word of their character or their theology or what their knowledge of Christ was. And Paul says, do we need that letter of recommendation to you, or do we need it from you uh, to other people? He says, no, we don't need this letter of recommendation in our ministry. Verse 2, you yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So we need that because we, we uh, normally, uh, naturally, rely merely on human ingenuity and human strength, even when it comes to ministering uh, to other people. And since God is using our lives to constantly influence others, we should be confident in his strategies and his power. So Paul is going to tell us about God's strategies and God's power and that is Paul's basis for ministering. And he's going to, to bring the Corinthians in and say and says to them, You are, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. What is he talking about? Well, first Corinthians, let's go back to first, hold your hand here and go back to first Corinthians six. In 1 Corinthians 6, why are the Corinthians the letter of recommendation? First Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. He's going to, in the middle of the passage uh, here that we've already looked at of not taking your brother to court in the first part of 6, and then staying away from immorality, the second part of 6. In the middle of chapter 6, he says, Do you not know, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. This is an awful list, as all sin lists are in the New Testament. And then he says of the Corinthians, verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The transformation in our lives... The gospel transforms our lives. When we were once dead in trespasses and sins, our lives look like the Corinthians. And this would be an example list of what our lives look like before our salvation, before Christ transformed us. We were sexually immoral. We were idolaters. We were adulterers. We were men who practiced homosexuality. And we were thieves. We were greedy. We were drunkards, we were revilers, we were swindlers, and we weren't inheriting the kingdom of God. The Corinthians knew what their life was like before salvation. And Paul says, Christ has transformed your life. The once wicked Corinthians were transformed by the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of of our God. On our way back to 2 Corinthians, let's stop at 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 3 and verse 11, Paul is the one who delivered the gospel to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians received it and believed it. We saw this passage, but let's look at it again. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 3. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. 
in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you had believed in vain. So notice the preacher, Paul, and the recipients, they received it, they stand in this gospel, and they believed in the gospel. Verse 3, for I delivered, that's Paul preaching again, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And then now skip down to verse 11. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. So Paul is the preacher. Paul is giving the gospel. This is his ministry, and his ministry is being challenged. He doesn't need a letter of recommendation to them. Why doesn't he need a letter of recommendation to them? Because they themselves, that's the Corinthians, are our letter of recommendation. Now we'll go back to 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 2. He says, you yourselves, emphasis on you, you guys are the letter of recommendation written not on a, a paper, but you are written on our hearts to be known and read by all. So what is he saying there? If you had a letter of recommendation to you and you go to an interview, you have a resume and you may have letters of recommendation, you'd give that to your potential future employer. He looks at them. If he knows the recommendations, he knows the, your former employer, he, he's friends with someone that's on, uh, you have a better chance of uh, getting that job if it's a good evaluation. Well, Paul says, I, we don't even need to write these letters. You, I don't need a letter uh, to come minister to you. And I don't need a letter from you. Here's where the letter is. You guys are the letter. And you're written on our hearts. That means we carry you with, with us all the time. And you are to be known and read by all. What is he saying? He's saying, when I stand up and tell people about my ministry... I refer to you Corinthians as you were once, like 1 Corinthians 6, that you were once immoral and idolaters and greedy and that list of sins back in chapter 6. And now you guys are different. That Corinthian church is washed. That Corinthian church is sanctified. That Corinthian church is holy. That, that Corinthian church is a model of the transformation that happens in the life of of people. Once wicked, now right before God. And now they were once not a people, as First uh, Peter says, I think, but now you're a people of God. And so it is with the Corinthians uh, that he is encouraging them. Paul, as the minister, has given the gospel. They have received it. And he says, you are my letter of recommendation. Now, what does that cause Paul to do? He's obviously talking about the Corinthians wherever he goes. And it says, look at the end of verse 2. This letter, which is you guys, are, is read by all, which means Paul's referring to them everywhere he goes, and everyone knows about the Corinthians in a positive way. That's encouraging him, and it's also bringing joy and delight to Paul in his ministry. Does a child need a recommendation letter to work for a parent? How about a best friend? Of course not. Those that accept the truth that we proclaim are very dear to our hearts. That's what Paul is saying here. And the more dear they are to us, the more we delight to share their story with others. If you're here Wednesday night, you heard of stories of the gospel in, uh, around the world. And then a couple different churches in our country about how God's using the exchange and the Musgraves uh, ministry. And it's so encouraging to hear of people getting saved. So encouraging. And that's what Paul did. He was telling uh, other churches uh, of the Corinthians' acceptance of the gospel. And he is their letter of recommendation, but not in letter form, but it's written on their heart, on Paul's heart. And Paul delights in what the Corinthians, how they've responded to the gospel. And he's sharing it. And their letter, so to speak, is read by all these people. Verse 3. 
and you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You see the whole Trinity here. You see the, uh, the Christ, uh, and then you see the Spirit of the living God. What is he saying here? Transformed people are the joy of the ministry, verses 1 and 2. And verse 3 here, transformed people are the evidence of Christ's ministry. Paul would never argue that saying Paul is doing a ministry outside of Christ. Paul, and if you were to ask Paul what he is doing to minister, he's saying, I'm just telling people about Christ. That's what I'm doing. And I'm encouraging the Corinthians to tell people about Christ. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we will just tell people, everyone here, about Christ. That's, our, that's our, our goal. As you go throughout your week, pray that God will give you opportunities to just tell someone about Christ. That's the heart of the ministry. And here Paul says that, uh, that you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. So Christ writes the Corinthians and transforms their lives and delivers them to Paul. As Paul preaches to them, they receive Christ. And now he says that you are written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. And not on tablets of stone, which they would have been heavy to carry around, but that was how they would carry important documents etched in stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So God delivers these Corinthians to Paul. Paul, they're dear to him. And their transformed lives are evidence that Paul's ministry doesn't need other letters of recommendation. Because these people, their transformed lives are evidence that Christ is using Paul to minister to them. And it's evident that uh, they have trusted Christ. So transformed lives demonstrate Christ. Ministers can magnify Christ's work in setting captives free. Not only is Christ active in transforming, the Spirit of the living God writes the recommendation of the minister's ministry, which is transform lives. The lasting impression of transform lives of the ministry is more powerful than etched in stone. God himself, the Spirit, makes sure that other believers don't miss the transformation in their hearts. So look with me at the end of verse 3. As Paul goes and shares what the transformation that happened in the Corinthians' lives to other churches, other churches, those people have the Spirit of God in them. And what he's saying here is that the Spirit of the living God, when I'm telling other people your story, that the Holy Spirit of God helps those people not to miss that Christ is the one who transformed the Corinthian people. That's powerful. Because what Paul is saying is, it's not relying on me. It wasn't me, and it wasn't you and me working together to, to get these letters of recommendation. We can weasel our way into churches, and we can get uh, uh, prove that I'm really an apostle, and you guys are really transformed. No, there's no having to prove this in a human way. We're relying on God, and Christ is delivered, uh, you guys, from sin and now as I go share your story with all people, the Spirit of the living God is writing your story on something better than tablets of stone. He's writing your story on other people's hearts. So if you've got a friend who is, and you're in another church, let's say you're in Philippi, or you're in Ephesus, or you're in Galatia, the church is in Galatia, and you have a really hard neighbor a really hard employer, and he is known for his greed. He's known for his idolatry. He's known for his sexual immorality. And you hear the Corinthian story of transformation. Does your hope increase? If God can save the Corinthians, he can save anyone. Yes. Christ is transforming. He has transformed every single one of us who names the name of Christ. If you're here today and you're a Christian, your life has been transformed. You've been delivered. And your story can be etched in other people's hearts 
And if, if, someone has, if you've witnessed to someone and they have trusted Christ, their story is forever etched in your heart. That's how the ministry works. And this is what Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to join him in ministry, to be that um, aroma of life to life and death to death as we saw last week. And he's encouraging them this way that, hey, we don't need letters of recommendation like the world needs because a transformed life is more powerful than anything. Questions for us to consider then. Do we see the coordination of ministry here? The speaker magnifies the work of Christ in the life of a new believer. Then the spirit of the living, active God helps the other believers to correctly interpret the transformation. The result is wonderful unity in a local church and between churches that are sharing the gospel. Let us praise and thank Christ for transforming and trust the Spirit's testifying. So who on earth, or already in heaven, is proof of your ministry? You say, I'm a minister, I'm a Christian, which means I am going to tell people about Christ. Some people, the, you smell like death, as we saw last week. To others, ah. You smell something different, and they're curious, and they start asking questions, and you answer questions for them from from God's Word and about who Christ is, and Christ uses you to lead them to Himself. Who on earth, or who is already in heaven, is proof of your ministry? Who can point to you and say, it was because of your ministry, partially because of your ministry, that I'm on my way to heaven. You don't have to have scores of churches like Paul or some modern missionaries that have biographies written about them, or a pastor who this is my full-time job to do the ministry, but you should have in a lifetime one or two people that their transformed life is evidence of your ministry of the Word. If you're a parent, You know who you have to minister to? The pagans that were born to you. That's your ministry. You don't have to look outside your home to to be surrounded by ministry if you have little ones in your care at your house. They're looking to you and they are learning about Christ by what you say and what you don't say what you uh, do and what you don't do. And you don't need a letter of recommendation. You can see transformed lives. And it's such a delight as a parent. The joy of parenting is transformed lives of your children. And the evidence that Christ is working in them is there's a transformed life. If you, though, have no one on earth and you have been saved for years and decades and you say there is no one on earth that would say that person there, let me encourage you and we'll do our best to equip you to minister to the lost and to other believers. Hating sin and loving God is at the root of the heart of ministry. Knowing God's word, loving him, singing his praises, talking of him, learning about him, fellowshipping with other believers, all those things that we do here as a church are going to encourage you and equip you to minister. Taking a class, sitting down with someone who is a minister and says, hey, this is how you, this is how you serve other people. This is how you serve your family. This is how you talk to your kids. This is how you parent. This is what ministry looks like. And as people grow up that we have ministered to, whenever their hatred for sin is growing and their love for God is growing, that is a tremendous joy in our hearts. And as Christ transforms, those who are ministered, or those who are the ministers, as Paul here is in encouraging the, uh, the Corinthians to be so, he says, you guys' story is on my heart, and I'm sharing it, and it's on other people's hearts now 
as well. So that is Christ transforming. Transform people. Verses 1 and 2 are the joy of our ministry. And then uh, transformed people are the evidence of Christ's ministry. So the joy and evidence, verses 1 and 2, are the joy and uh, Christ's ministry there is verse 3. Now verses 4 to 6. So that's the commendation of ministry. Now the confidence, verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim as anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You watch people, you and I watch people, and as a young person, I grew up in church, I watched people and I thought, how are they so confident in sharing the gospel? How are they so good at turning a conversation from talking about sports and weather and kids and everything else about life and turning it on to spiritual things? Man, that's a skill. Yes, partly a skill, but mainly a dependence. The people that minister the best are the most dependent on God to minister. That's what Paul says here. Where is Paul's confidence? Now, Paul spent 14 years learning, and he he spent a time before his conversion and knowing the Old Testament, and he spent 14 years uh, training and learning how Christ was the fulfillment of the Old Testament before he writes or preaches uh, much um, and writes Galatians, he's, he's a believer, at least 14 years. All right, so he has some skill and some training, but his confidence is not in his skill or not in his training. Where is his confidence in verse 4? Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. See, Christ is the one who transforms people. So our confidence doesn't come with, oh, well, I am the one who transformed people. No, 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 that's not the ministry. That might be a lot of what you see out there on on the internet and on TV and the biggest churches and the most followers on on Twitter, but that is not ministry. They are peddlers of God's word, and they're multi-billionaires, some of them, because they're peddlers of God's word. No, that's not Christian ministry. Christian ministry magnifies Jesus Christ, and if you look down at Paul's life and what he's going to tell the Corinthians to have, that their confidence and Paul's confidence needs to be in Christ and in Him alone. So the confidence in ministry is that the Spirit of God is supplying. What is He supplying? In verses 4 and 5, we read verse 4, let's go to verse 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim as anything coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. We've already read this, but... Where is Paul's sufficiency? Sufficiency, that word sounds familiar. It should, because last week we talked about it. It was verse 16. Who is sufficient for these things? Same word. Who has enough of themselves to give to other people? No, our sufficiency is not in ourselves. So our sufficiency is from God. So if I told you that God wants to use you to reach other people for Christ you'd say, I just can't do it. I just don't have the personality. I just don't have the schooling. I don't have the education. I don't have, I just don't have, no, I'm just an introvert. Just get, I loved COVID. I actually like COVID because I'm an introvert. My, I get to stay in my house? Are you serious? This is awesome. That's what I thought about COVID. When the first month hit, I'm like, this is great because I get to stay at home. I don't have to talk to people. Oh, man. And then we started getting out, and I have to talk to people again. Oh, man, it's online. That's better. <laughs> In my flesh, that's what my flesh said. But I'm a pastor, right? So I can't be an introvert, and I can't hide behind the introvert status that I think I have or my personality. No, when God wants someone ministered to, he wants to use us. We can't hide behind a personality. And our confidence isn't in ourselves, because if it is, then God will give a pass to all those who 
lack of personality or lack the education or lack the finances or lack anything. And so our sufficiency, who makes us enough, who makes us sufficient for ministering, is not us. And it's not a human education. It is Christ and God and them alone. So the transforming God supplies what we lack. And what do all of us lack in ministry? We lack power. We can, we can act like we're powerful. We can act like we had the best personality. We had the best arguments. We had the best whatever to minister for the gospel, for God. And it just doesn't, doesn't work very well. Our confidence in ministry is that God makes us sufficient for ministry. Does your confidence in ministry depend on God making you sufficient for that ministry? God gives confidence through Christ toward God. Look at verse 4 again. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Remember, in Christ we are all, in, leads us in triumphal procession, back in verse 14. And we are just an aroma of Christ to God. We just smell like Christ to God, and some people don't like the smell, and a few other believers like the smell, and those people who God's drawing, they like the smell of our lives. But who's sufficient for these things? And that's a good question. And Paul answers that question. Our confidence in our sufficiency is not in ourselves. We know that we are not sufficient in our own strength for ministry. God makes us sufficient for ministry. So questions for us. Parents, are you sufficient for Christ-like ministry in your own home? On your own or only with God? What does only with God look like in parenting? Here's what it looks like. God, I do not know what to do with my kids. We are praying constantly as parents. You know why? Because our sufficiency is not in ourselves. Our sufficiency is not in Dr. Phil or any other parent or any other parenting expert. Our sufficiency is in our reliance on God. And then God, show me how to parent. God, how did you parent Israel? Okay, when they, you, you warned them, you promised them, you protected them, you judged them, you disciplined them. All that you see in the Old Testament, how God parented Israel, you can learn about parenting from God's ways. It's right here. So here is the confidence that we have as parents, that we don't have parenting without a manual or have access to our father who is the perfect parent. So we have access to God's word that shows us how to parent, and we have access to our God who gives us the heart and gives us the boldness and gives us the compassion and the mercy, and all of that we do not have without our God. Some of us are pushovers at times as parents, and some of us are way too harsh. God will balance you out if you rely on him. See, the transforming God makes us sufficient with his power. We don't have to have the, all of the right things to say. I tell my oldest, Hudson, I am not an expert at parenting an 18-year-old, because I've never had an 18-year-old before. I do not have life experience of having an 18-year-old before. I have not had, ever had a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old or any, anyone, anything else after 18. And I apologize to my younger kids. Hey, kids, we have, your mom and I have not done a perfect job at parenting you. And one of the smarter ones, yeah, yeah, of course not, right? But... We are trying to rely on God. Remember, and we go back to the opening illustration. I'm going to give it to you again. Those who are younger and were out at junior church, you weren't here. A sign that was seen in a textile mill. When your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. And a young woman who was new on the job, her thread became tangled, and she thought, I'll just straighten this out myself. She tried to straighten it out herself, but the situation only worsened. 
Finally, she called the foreman. I did the best I could, she said, and the foreman answered, no, you didn't. To do the best, you should have called me. So it is with us as parents. Doing the best you can is doing what God says. Doing the best you can as a parent is relying completely on God and his word and his ways and not relying on your own understanding. As God transforms people around us, we want him to use us. As he uses us, we're giving him all the credit because his power is sufficient for ministry. And God often leads us as parents and as ministers of the gospel to a place where if we're trusting in ourselves, we're going to end up at the end of our rope and we're not going to say, I I don't know what to do anymore. That's a good place to be. That's where we should be all along the way instead of trying our own thing as parents and uh, other ministers and, and then finally realizing we can't do it. No, we should be trusting him all along the way. Christian, are you sufficient on your own to have someone that is your proof of ministry, a transformed life? We all have a heart for people around us. As if you're a believer, you have a heart for those who are lost around you. But who makes you sufficient to talk to them? It's not merely you. It is the power of God, the person of God in us. Verse 6, who, uh, to pick up from verse 5, it is God, from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills. Or this is not the letter like you saw earlier, the letter of recommendation. This is a letter that's like a, um, a document, okay, or a, um, a law or a commandment, okay? And he's going to go on uh, next time, after Easter, we'll look at verses 7 and following, but how the Old Testament commandments aren't as good as what we have in the New Testament. Here, this new covenant, we are ministers of a new covenant. Who makes us sufficient? It is God who made us sufficient. And not just with um, just the Ten Commandments or just the Old Testament, but with the Spirit of God. Remember the letter, the, the, uh, the commandments of God, and they're good commandments, but the commandments kill people. They make people who are on their way on the path of death, they even smell worse like death after they talk to us and we tell them, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you dishonored your parents? And all we're doing is bringing the Ten Commandments to bear on their disobedience to God. And the Holy Spirit's using that to convict them of sin and righteousness and of judgment. And, and they're going to start attacking you because you're the minister uh, and you start smelling like death to them. And they know that their spiritual death is coming. Why? Because they have broken God's law. But we're talking here about ministering to Christians. And the transforming power of this new covenant is all based on the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Not of commandments, but of the Spirit. For the commandments, or the letter kills, but the Spirit does what? Gives life. Imagine something dead, very, very dead on the side of the road. And if you could take something that was very flat, dead, on the side of the road, and you could help that little creature come back to life, and you could record it on your phone and put it on YouTube, you'd be a billionaire. Because you could show that you could bring something from death to life. But only God can bring dead things to life. We, we recognize this. At Easter, every year, Resurrection Sunday, only God can bring something dead back to life. Only God can take those who are dead in trespasses and sins and make them alive. And that's what Paul is saying here. 
he is saying the transfer, the power to make us sufficient is not in ourselves. It's in God. And the transforming God gives us a ministry that leads people toward life. And we are not sufficient for these things. No one here, no one has ever lived to be sufficient for these things except Jesus. He was sufficient. He had enough. But God wants to use these weak pieces of flesh. He wants to use us to speak. As we learned last week, we all smell. We smell like death to death or life to life. God wants to use the aroma of Christ that we can speak. In the power of God, in the purpose and plan of God with the power of the Holy Spirit, because only the Holy Spirit can give life. And if only the Holy Spirit gives life, then we need to rely completely on our God. So, we are not sufficient. Only by God's design and the Spirit's power is anyone ever saved. But with God's design and with the Spirit's power, we must stop giving excuses or just supporting others. I'll just give money and I'll support missionaries and I'll support Pastor and Pastor Ty and the elders and the other people that are really good at sharing the gospel. I just want to help those people. And I'm just going to give them money. Are you sufficient with God's power and the Holy Spirit to minister? And the answer from this text of Scripture is yes. We need to stop giving excuses and start saying, God, use me. God, I am not good at conversations. God, I am not good at talking to strangers. God, I'm not good at talking to people that I know. I'd rather sit in the car and just not say anything. And I'm very comfortable not having any conversation with people. That's me. I'm very comfortable sitting on an airplane and never saying a word to the person next to me and think it's a great flight. I am fine with not ever talking to my neighbor and allowing them to stay on their property line and me stay on my property line. But that's not what God wants for us as Christians. We have to interact. We have to start conversations. We have to be willing to smell like death. Because the Holy Spirit is moving. He's working. God is still saving people. And he wants to use us to just smell like Christ. He's got all the power. He's got all the plan. He's got all of the tools to bring people to himself. And he taps us, the Holy Spirit. Hey, I want you to talk to that person. We need to stop giving excuses and start preparing to share Christ. The Spirit of God gives transforming life through our ministry of which God makes us sufficient in Christ. So we are confident in Christ. We can be pleasing to God. God is always brought in here as the observer of what's going on spiritually. And the Spirit is the empowerment that gives life to those who talk to, who we talk to about God's desire to be in covenant with them. We missed, we went over quickly. We are ministers of a new covenant. What's this new covenant? God wants to be in an agreement with once sinners now redeemed. And he wants them to be in a lifelong, enjoyable covenant that God promises eternal life. And the outer man perishes, the inner man is renewed. And that person once dead is now alive to God and he has promised them life, and at the moment of their physical death, they go and enjoy heaven for all eternity. That's a new covenant based on the blood of Christ who washes away our sin. Who is sufficient for these things? All those who rely on Christ. Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. We're on the winning team. 
It's time to talk to people about what it's like to be on the winning team in the most humble way you can. And rely on God. Rely on the Spirit. This looks like prayer. We pray twice a week here corporately that you can join us. Wednesday, uh, or three times. Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, and Sunday morning at 9. Hopefully that works for, at least one of those times works for you. If you will come and say, okay, God, I don't know how to be sufficient, but I'll start with praying. Okay, join us in prayer. We pray for unsaved people. We pray for conversations. We pray for God to, to move and God to use us. And uh, join your voice. You say, I don't know how to pray, or I'm scared to pray in public. Who makes you sufficient to pray? It's God. It's not you. It's not your personality. You can write out a prayer if you want. You're really nervous. Write out a prayer and bring it. It's okay to read a prayer. I don't think it's okay not to pray. I don't think it's okay never to study your word and the, the word and never to be prepared to at least share the Romans road, to talk yourself through uh, the bridge track or the exchange track that are out there. They're available. The tools are there. Become familiar with them and see if they're, I mean, I'm thinking of people that I have, I know that I haven't shared the gospel with. I'm thinking, how do I, how do I start? And I might start this way. I want you to be in heaven with me one day. Has anyone ever showed you from God's word how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven? That doesn't sound very hard or very confrontational. Because they can say, no. And I don't want you to share, okay? okay? They might say that. But they might say, no, I've never heard. Would you be willing for me to show you how you could be on your way to heaven? And if they say yes, don't fall over and faint. Because God, if God is drawing them, he's empowering you to speak with just those two simple questions. And sometimes we're just so fearful and so focused on our own power, we forget that God's empowering all of us to speak for him. We're going to pray. I've asked a few men to pray. I'll have Brandon uh, pray the third uh, the third one up here, uh, but Shane will come and pray, and then Aaron, and we'll pray along these lines. We need you, Father, we need the Son, we need the Spirit to see lives transformed. So Shane's going to pray that, and you can pray silently there in your pew. Second, Aaron's going to come and pray, and thank God for making us sufficient for seeing lives transformed. We're going to give God credit for any lives that are transformed. He gets all the credit, and we're going to thank him. Uh, for making us sufficient. And then uh, Brandon, before he leads the last song, can pray and thank, um, thank God for his spirit that gives life. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the truths in your word. And thank you for um, giving us your spirit. Thank you for giving us um, the sun to come down on the cross. And uh, we need you. We need you and we need the spirit um, to live a transformed life. We look, at the, um, we look at the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament. And uh, I was just reminded throughout this morning of the promises that were made in the book of Jeremiah, how um, the new covenant would come and that it would be written on our hearts. And uh, Father, just thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you. Um, we need your spirit to live transformed lives so that others can see the difference in our life and they can see you and they can see um, that they need you and that they need a savior. And uh, Father, please help us not to forget that. Please help us to remember that um, we are who we are because of you and we are, we are different because you saved us and you gave us the spirit and please help us not to rely on ourselves and rely on our own power but to rely on you and rely on your spirit that you've given um, to live a transformed life and father please help us to keep it keep you at our focus please help us to have an outward focus and those around us help us to show them that they need you as well and uh, father thank you for your word thank you for your spirit and thank you for dying on the cross to save us
Christ's holy name. Father, you are so full of mercy. God, that our sins are known by you. They're ever, ever before you as you are all-knowing. And yet, your son has blotted them out. God, you alone are capable of that. And you alone cause us, in our flesh and in our frailty and in our humility, to be sufficient to bring the gospel to men on this earth who otherwise perish in their sin. God, help us to remember you each morning as we rise, knowing that it is by you alone that we have a testimony before others. Help our lives to smell and to look like you. God, so that we would not stand before men fearing them and how they perceive us, how they smell us or look at us, but fearing you knowing that it is obedience not only to smell of death, but to smell of life before those in this world. Give us confidence in knowing that you make us sufficient. It is by you, Lord, and it is for you. We praise you for this work in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we're so thankful that we know the truth the truth that um, you did live that perfect, sinless life and chose to go to the cross to pay for our sins. Um, we're just so grateful that we can be called your children, that you have um, chosen us and that you have chosen to forgive our sins and give us a home in heaven someday that we can look forward to. Um, so we're so thankful that you have given us a way to turn from our sin and to have life and help us not to be afraid to share that with those that don't know you, those that um, are close to us, that we would like to spend eternity with heaven praising you someday. Thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me go ahead and stand as we close. We'll sing.